The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Friends. is episode 156 of the Boys of Tech for Monday the 5th of March 2012. My name is Edwin Herman, I'm located in the studio here in Wellington, New Zealand and joining me over Skype is Alec Diauti from Drinkle. Welcome along Al. How are you this week? I'm fantastic. And I hear you've had some nasty weather. We have, the the whole uh, North Island at least anyway and parts of the South Island have been hit by this weather bomb, as they're calling it. So what is a weather bomb? I've never heard that term. Well, that, that's the thing. Is it's, it like a hurricane or a, or, or a cyclone or what, what's going on there? Well, pretty much all of the above, but they, for some reason, I don't know what it is, but there must be a new buzzword because all I'm seeing in the media is the word weather bomb, or the, the words, I should say, weather bomb. But I've never heard this before, and there's no mention of cyclone, hurricane, etc. So it's an adverse weather event. So do you guys general- have like a Bureau of Meteorology website for for New Zealand? Yeah, we do. Metservice.co.nz. What is it saying? Is it calling it a weather bomb? Well, I don't know what it's calling it because it's kind of over now. <laughs> it's just been. But surely we must see some. That's a very good point because what do they call it? Because you would think they would use the official nomenclature. You would expect them to. Yeah. I don't know if it's just a media thing that they've jumped onto, but in multiple media sources have been using the term weather bomb. So I've just checked, and indeed there is a blog entry called The Bomb. Ah. I'll read a little bit to you. It says, It's been a while since a rapidly deepening low passed close to or over New Zealand. I thought it might be interesting to take a quick look at why the bomb low of Saturday 3 March 2012 deepened so quickly and why the winds around it affected the areas they did. So there you go. The Met Service is calling it a bomb. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it it, it sounds like it's a, a weather event that doesn't sort of generate weed uh, winds like a cyclone does, which is sort of circular and, and just sort of builds up. It sounds like just a weather low, like a, a low pressure area sort of just exploded. There obviously were some high winds because we, yeah. I've seen, you know, uh, pictures of but that will, houses that, with... The high winds are, are caused by the interaction between the high pressure and the low pressure. Between the high pressure. and the low, right. But yeah. I see what you're saying. So it's not a whirlwind sort of thing. No. That's kind it, of where, you, where it, you're it, coming it, from, yeah. It's, it's almost like a, a black hole, which is just pulling stuff in. Right, yeah. So, yeah. so the yeah. low would, would, would act as almost a, a suction or a vacuum. So I guess, I mean, I've never heard the term before, but I, oh, that's it's, interesting. it must be a new buzzword in the meteorological uh, circle, I guess, or something. Yeah. But but there you go, the bomb. You've got to be careful though these days because you can't use the word bomb at airports. So, you know, you don't want to be sort of saying something like, oh, yeah, look, probably do that tomorrow because of the bomb. And, you know, or, before you know it, you're no, arrested. No, no, no. <laughs> I meant the Bureau of Meteorology. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> B-O-M. Yes. So let's talk about tech. 
This week, amongst other stories, we're going to look at the new Raspberry Pi that's been highly sought after. E-Ink apparently is going colour. Woohoo! And also, we have a hands-on report on Windows 8 Beta. It's out. And Al, you have been using it. I have for about two hours. Well, that's good enough. <laughs> but I'm, I, I am Skyping to you on Windows 8. So you are Skyping this, on Windows 8. This, so obviously this, this is Skype. a live test. A live test. And it obviously supports Skype. So that's one good thing. Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of good things. In fact, I tell you what, it is, uh, if I can use a word that you used just earlier, Al, off the show, it's revolutionary. I think it is, absolutely. Right, we'll talk about that in a little while. But first of all, Raspberry Pi, what is this Raspberry Pi? Because speaking of buzzwords, that is kind of one of the buzzwords in the tech circles right now. Raspberry Pi is a computer on a... A computer on a board. On a mini board, on a, yeah, on a tiny on, board, the size of yeah. a, what, deck of cards? Yeah, well, it, it's it's the size of a like a, an old graphics card or a, an old NIC. And it's a whole computer, and it's a whole computer, isn't it? Yeah, much. yeah, it's got a USB, it's got video out, it's got um, 256 mega RAM or something. It, it's like a cool little sort of maker machine. Now, the it only comes thing, with Linux installed. The only thing it doesn't have, of course, is onboard storage. It has a slot, yeah. an SD uh, MMC card slot. Uh, it does, but it's also got a USB port. It does. In fact, uh, there, well, there so are two models. connect up to a hard drive, yeah. Yeah, there are actually two models. There's Model A and Model B. And I, I believe Model B is the one being released right now for $35, US which is about yeah. 22 British pounds. That one has apparently got two USB ports. There you go. Yeah, and it just sold out in a snap. High demand. Yeah, I know. In fact, the demand was so great that the two resellers of this their websites just went belly up because they couldn't cope with the load. DDoS. Yeah, pretty much. A DDoS. Self-inflicted DDoS. Yeah. Yeah. Al, actually, when I read the story, I thought, ah, you'd be the kind of guy that would probably want to go out and buy one of these. Or at least tinker with one. I did think one. about it. I did think about yeah, it. I thought you might have. Can you tell us what is so interesting about this? Why is everyone all over this? I think it's a really good sort of learning tool, I think. Because it's it's all exposed, you can see the all of the parts. It's good for kids for learning computers. I think it's a great little little machine, fantastic for educational purposes. So people who who are makers or like like to sort of take things apart and put them back together, and adults today that used to get into Meccano and those electronics kits and that sort of stuff, right down their alley. But a lot of kids really getting into it as well, I think. Could you use it as a proof of concept sort of thing? So, but, you know, before, whilst you're developing a product, but you haven't, you know, got it to, the, to market yet, could you use Raspberry Pi as a way of doing a proof of concept for, for something, for interacting with some other hardware? or? or for I think you probably could, but it, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's useful. I mean, if you put it in a box, it's a computer. But it's so like, cheap. I know, I know. 35 US dollars. fantastic for the third world. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. But I, I, still, I still can't get over the price. I know. It's crazy. That's only 26 euro. Yeah, it's fantastic. It, it, it's really, really good to see computer equipment and what seems to be fairly reasonably specced stuff. I mean, it, it's still lightweight when you compare it to a desktop PC. Sure. 
But I mean, if you compared it to a like a, a PLC or an embedded system, I think it's quite powerful. It's very sort of programmable. Well, while we're on the specs, let's go through some of them. Cool. The, the CPU is a 700 megahertz ARM CPU. Mm-hmm. Video out, composite RCA and HDMI, believe it or not. But, but See, it doesn't that's co- amazing. But it doesn't come with a cable, though. Because the, well, yeah, the cable the cable would cost more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, isn't that crazy? Uh, audio out is uh, via three and a half mil jack, as well as of course HDMI, because by definition HDMI carries audio. But there what is a, a na- three point five mil. Networking capabilities does it have? Okay, so there, are, as I say, there's going to be model A, model B, model B being released now uh, will have or does have or will have, I suppose, because people can't get it yet. Uh, has ten one hundred Ethernet. Mm-hmm. So not gigabit, but you know, so via an RJ forty standard RJ forty five jack. Yeah. So you know that, that's okay. I mean, it's it's enough to do what you need to do, surely. And the GPU is capable of ten eighty p at thirty frames a second. Wow. I don't know how they pack that how much in there. If you installed like XBMC or Myth or something on there, that'd just make a a, a perfect home theater PC for thirty five bucks. <laughs> oh, plus the HDMI cable. Well, <laughs> true. <laughs> $85. This is great. I think, as you said, it's great for tinkerers. It's great for people who want to try things out. It's great for people who want to mess with things like dismantling things, trying things, and hooking computers up with uh, to, you know, to other devices. And, and this, yeah. is, this is great for that. Fortunately, as I say, people can't get their hands on one because... The uh, retailers' websites have just been inundated. But and they sold out of the first lot very quickly as well. Did they actually sell any? Yeah, they did. It sold out. All I can say is hot raspberry pie. Indeed. All right, let's take a quick look at what's happening in the world of e-ink. Apparently it's going colour. Now, we knew it was coming, and it's due for release later this year. That probably means December, but that's okay. You know, the thing is, e-ink is in its infancy. It's got a long way to go. We need color, we need better refresh, and we need higher resolution. But it's going to come. so much potential for energy saving. 10,000 page refreshes. Yeah. The battery, you know, in a typical device will last 10,000 screen refreshes. And listeners, keep in mind that a screen for refresh usually only happens when you change the page in a book. Yeah, and even then, you know, it could be every three pages or in some cases up to every six. But you're right. I mean, uh, you know, even worst case, once per turn of the page. So, you know, a book, how many, the thing is, I don't really read fiction. I tend to read nonfiction and they tend to be shorter. What's a typical, the length of a, a fiction book? Uh, it d- depends. If it, if it's pulpy, it can be sort of 100, 150 pages. But some of the some of the fantasy books I read are a thousand pages. Wow! So you could still get through ten of those on one battery. Yeah. Wow. It's just still pretty good. Yeah, it is pretty good. So the way they're doing the colours is that, as you know, with e-ink, there's little pigments in there in each little uh, pixel in each individual cell. There are some pigments, and these pigments move up or down depending on the current that's being passed through it. Or under, passed under it. Or passed under it, I should say. Yeah, that's right. So the classic e-ink is, of course, black and white, and so you just have black and white pigments. And the way they're doing colour is that they're overlaying 
four times the resolution. So for every traditional pixel, you've got four color pixels, red, green, blue, and white. White. Yeah, white. And that's how they're going to get the color. Now, the screen refreshes on a color one is a bit longer. It's about 800 milliseconds, so almost a full second. Whereas on the monochrome ones, the black and white ones, they're around the order of 200 milliseconds. Which is pretty pretty good. Yeah, it's not too bad. I mean, it's still not good enough for video. Oh, absolutely not. But it's it's more than adequate for a, to just flick through a book. Yeah. I think the screen refresh for the color has to, uh, it will have to get better because, I mean, 0.8 isn't unacceptable, but to be fair, it's probably longer than it takes to flip a page in a book. Yeah. You know, if, you do, if you've got your, you know, your, your finger ready, flip and it's done. That's probably more in the order of 200 milliseconds, which is the same as black and white yeah. on the uh, e-ink. But, it, I mean, the, the article said that they're aiming to do video eventually on the color. So yeah, I, we're, I we're think, heading in that direction. It just might take five years. That's right. That's right. And as I said, this is still really in the infancy stages. I mean, you know, we need better resolution with these things for a start. It's not too bad at the moment. I mean, I've seen the, the Kobo, which oh, yeah. is uh, sort yeah. of the rival to the uh, the Kindle. Is and, that the Barnes & Noble one? Uh, yeah, I, actually, I can't remember. I think it might or is be. It the, is it the Borders one? No, I think it might be Barnes & Noble. Uh, no, 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 I just had a look. It's Borders. Ah, Borders, is it? Okay. Yeah. So that one there is, I mean, you know, the resolution's okay. I mean, it's it's okay for reading, but it's certainly nothing like, uh, well, take the iPhone 4, for example. It's not like the Retina display or anything. Indeed, indeed. But, you know, in time, in time. So we've got colour. We've got, yeah. uh, we're going to get a bit of screen refresh uh, eventually in some years to come, which, as you said, will give us the ability to do video, and mm-hmm. of course we'll have better resolution. So that's yeah. all still to come. Now, onto the big story of this week. Microsoft announced the delivery of Windows 8 Consumer Preview. Now, Al, as I mentioned in the intro, you've been trialling it. In fact, you're using it right now. Indeed. How's it going? It, well, it's it's fairly stable, which is very nice. So you're, you're breaking up there. I can't hear you. <laughs> very funny, very funny. <laughs> so its touch is a lot better than touch was on Windows 7. How can touch um, be any different though? Isn't touch touch? Well, it's how the, the operating system actually interprets and handles the touch. And it's a lot more integrated in Windows 8. So it's a lot smoother. Right. And I really do like the new um, Metro Paradigm. So you, you start with the Metro screen and you only go to the uh, the desktop when you need to for legacy apps. But it's fully compatible with, with any Windows app that you currently use. Right, okay. So you on, don't on have to top. have... So will, are they going to have the ability to deliver apps in that Metro style? Absolutely. Or- so there, there's a built-in store. So you can go through the store and, and load up apps which are in that new Metro style. And Windows on ARM or WOA, which is the variety of Windows, which is purely for tablets and only on ARM, that version of Windows 8 is only going to have Metro apps. It's not going to allow third-party apps on the desktop. Right. And that probably makes sense because I think the biggest thing holding those sorts of devices back, I mean, you take a look at Windows, what is it? Uh, mobile. Uh, what is, what's their phone? The old phone six point five. Uh, Windows Mobile is the old one. Yeah, Windows Mobile six point five. I mean, it was still 
trying to be like Windows. And it I, I was. Th- I think that that was its big you know, mistake. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So I think that's a good decision. You know, the tablet stuff is going to be engineered for tablet type interfacing. Absolutely, and and it does feel very sort of in the same family as Windows Phone. Does it feel too far removed though from say your traditional dare I say it XP type desktop? And I say XP because of course XP was pretty I, much I, the I, biggest I think the the longest run, running uh, successful classic desktop operating system. Certainly, but Windows Seven was the best selling. True, I, I, but, but I okay, agree. but even that does it still does it feel too far removed from either of those? I think some users are going to experience culture shock when they first use it, but I think you'll get used to it very quickly and come to love it and look back and go, I can't believe that we used to have to live in the desktop all the time. So you're sold on this pretty much. Oh, totally. Absolutely. I I will be getting a, a full Windows 8 machine when they come out. Now, I assume you being a coder, we could say you're somewhat of a, a hardcore user, if you like. Indeed, Pre- power user. Power user. Yeah. So presumably, it's given that you're saying this, it's, mm-hmm. it's still going to be of interest to power users, right? Absolutely. The, on Intel, so I think on ARM, it's going to be of less interest to power users because it's a lot more locked down and you can only install Metro apps and there's no sideloading of applications. But on the, the Intel version, on the x86 or um, the 64-bit versions, you've still got access to the control panel and administrator tools and all of those power things. You just get to them in different ways. So, do you ever yeah, feel, I, do you, do you feel like something's missing, though, when you're like, how do I, where's this or where's control panel or I can't right-click my desktop and I've, go I've, properties? I felt that. I did feel that when when I was trying to get the wireless working, because there's no system tray, for, right? for about yeah for for about five seconds, and then I realised oh if I go into desktop the system tray is still there. Would there have been another, another way as well? Like is there a there, uh, there, there is? I just did stumble across it. That's not the first thing that I found, but I mean it just goes to show that there's more than one way to do pretty much anything. So I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd, people who are used to Windows. I think probably going to have some difficulty sort of adjusting to the change, but people fear change all the time. That's nothing new. And change happens. You, it's part of life. You've got to roll with it. Change is good. Now, there's been a lot of talk also about Apple's mountain line. Now, that OS is supposed to be, from what I gather, also bringing in some of the, the interfaces that are more traditionally associated with touch interfaces and uh, mobile devices like uh, iPads. So is this just as much of a quantum leap as the mountain lion supposedly going to be? Um, in my opinion, and, and I'm not an Apple user, but I'm, I'm not a, a Microsoft um, diehard either. I'll bag any company that's doing the wrong thing or has a crappy product. But I actually think that in this instance, Windows 8 is gone further than mountain lion seems to and will when it's released. Wow. Now that's so, I must say that has pretty much got to be the first time in the that I can recall in, in recent versions of Windows and Mac OS that we could say that about Windows. Even the fact that it's on par with the, the innovation and change is a credit to Microsoft. I think that they've turned a corner as a company. Because it was looking pretty bleak, I must admit, for it was, Microsoft it was. for a while. You know Microsoft just looked like a beige company. Yes. 
Absolutely. And now I think it's reinvented itself once again, as it's probably had to do many times throughout its history. Absolutely. But yeah, it's done it again by as, the sounds of as it. As Apple has, yeah. Well, they, totally. Yeah, you're right yeah. there. And in fact, that was one of the things, of course, that almost drove Apple into the ground in the mid-90s. It was pretty much, in fact, even literally a beige company. It was delivering mm. beige boxes just like the uh, IBM compatibles, as we used to call them in the day. Those manufacturers, they weren't doing anything different. No. They were just beige no. boxes. And yeah. uh, so it was very much a, a beige company, if you like, back then. And they did turn that corner. And certainly uh, when it comes to the OS, it looks sounds like Microsoft has done just that. And I think, of course, Microsoft had to do that because otherwise it, it could well have been the beginning of the end for Microsoft. Absolutely. If Microsoft don't... if I, I think even, even if this move, this bold move doesn't, doesn't pay off for them, I, I think it's over for them, really. Do you think like it would have been? Do you think this is it? It's it's now or never. Is that what you're I, saying? Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. It's now or never. If this is a success, they will thrive. If it's not, then I think we're beginning to see their sunset. And you know what I think this means? It means that they've realised that because uh, they've delivered I think on. So. They, yeah. It sounds like they've delivered on this. They have. They have. Excellent. They have. I see a rosy future for them. Right. So, what's the official date for Windows 8 release? Do we have one? No, I don't think we actually have an official date for Windows 8 release yet. Okay. So as a summary, we could tell our listeners what? That it's highly recommended, yeah? Um, At least at this point. It's a very promising release. Considering it is only a beta release, they're calling it a consumer preview, but it is only a beta. I think it's a very promising start. Okay. Excellent. Good stuff. Good to see from uh, some good stuff coming out of Microsoft, some modern stuff coming out of Microsoft. Indeed. Excellent. Now, we've, we've all heard about the Nigerian scammers. Here's a story that really tickled my sense of humor. Some Nigerian scammers have been conned by an Aussie scammer. Yeah, a Brisbane, a Brisbane woman was apparently hired by some Nigerian scam artists to shuffle some money across, right? So Yeah, she was basically acting as their mule, so her bank account would receive all of the donations or sales or, or whatever from the sheep they were fleecing, and she would take her 8% cut and pass on the rest to the Nigerians. And therein lies a twist, of course, because she didn't do that, did she? She actually kept the whole lot herself. Yeah, she (laughs) took two payments, totaling what? It was like $30,000. Yeah. And kept it. Yeah, kept it. And she spent it. She spent a lot of it. Now, fortunately for her, of course. That that is still fraud. It's still fraud, exactly. So she's, of course, now, uh, she was arrested by the police. Uh, She's out on bail, of course, but she'll be sentenced next month for fraud. The ironic part here, of course, is her herself was the victim of a a fraud as well, a, a scam. Yeah, well, she... But she, did she know that, though? This is what I'm not... No, when, when it started, I don't think she actually knew that they were a scam, but when she found out, she decided to keep the money. But she herself, from, from what I understand, has uh, some previous uh, dishonesty... Yes, she uh, herself has, has um, had some property fraud and that sort of stuff apparently on her name. Mm. Allegedly. I feel like saying good job to the Nigerian scammers, but in the end, there's still an innocent person that loses out whichever way. So Indeed, indeed. There's still a victim here. Yeah. The people that were originally conned. It's amazing how many people actually get sucked into these things, you know? Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, the thing I don't get about these is, I don't know the 
specific details on how this one was well, construed, I, I, but I, I think um, on that, the way this scam was actually working is they'd set up a company in New York that was purporting to be a, a car sales place, and they set up an account on one of the Australian car sale websites. So they were selling non-existent cars. To oh, I see. Students. Okay, right, yeah. right. Well, that I can somewhat understand, but the ones that I don't understand that people fall for, and they still do, is when you get this ridiculous email out of the blue that someone is the second cousin's daughter of the long-lost such-and-such king or something who died recently and it was a terrible, sad death for everybody, etc. They give you the big, weepy, you know, sorrow story. Yeah. And they go on to say, you know, and, and then their bank account was, you know, 53 million US dollars. And it's like, I mean, you could be a little bit more realistic and just say there was probably like, I don't know, 100,000 or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, wouldn't it be more plausible that they have these ridiculous, and they're all written in caps more often than not. With terrible grammar. With terrible grammar. I mean, I don't know. Anyway, I don't know why people fall for those, but they do. I guess it's uh, a sad situation, but that's the truth of it. It is, it is. There are gullible people out there, people that just want to believe the best. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's some interesting psychology that goes behind this. I was talking to a psychology professor about this, how people, you know, when they get sucked in and then they realise they've been sucked in, they don't want to believe that they've been sucked in. So mm-hmm. they keep telling themselves, no, 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 this is real. It'll happen if I just give yeah. them a little bit more money. I'll give them another yeah. $10,000 payment. It will come through. And yeah. the more they go down this track, the more they believe or the, the less they want to believe that they're sucked yeah. in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the more they believe that it's real and, and it's just complete, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. Self-delusional. Yes, indeed. Well, have we talked that one to death? I think we have. I think we'll move on and talk about some video game creators. All right. My kind of my kind of people. Well, specifically, I want to talk about Starbreeze Studios because they released a game just recently, a sci-fi shooter called Syndicate. Indeed. I heard a review of that um, the good? other day. It sounds awesome. Unavailable in Australia. Oh, isn't that a, it's so frustrating. Because of the ratings board. So the sooner we get the R8, R, R plus, um, 18 plus R rating for games legislation passed in this country, the better. Okay, because then you'll start being able to get yeah, all, everything at the same time. These sort of titles time. will be right. able to come through, yeah. Now, of course, there is one place right now where you probably could get it, but it's illegal, and that's, of course, on torrent sites. If I was that way inclined. If you were that way inclined. And the reason I mention that, of course, is because typically the games that are obtained in that method usually have the stamp or the mark of the people who've hacked it uh, to get around the common direction. Usually in an NFO file. Correct, a .NFO file. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, this game syndicate by Starbury Studios has an NFO file in it. And I know, you, this was so cool. I know, and when you open it up, instead of finding the, the, you know, the logo of an ASCII art from the, you know, the hackers with some instructions on how to get around the copy prediction so you can install it, in this case, you get a text file that says, one, insert disk, two, play, and then a smiley face. Yeah, and then some, uh, a plea to the, to, uh, Pirate or would-be pirates out there to please consider the uh, the very hard work that a hundred developers have spent two years of their lives putting this game together. 
and they deserve a paycheck as well. It's not just the game publishers that lose out there. And then, of course, also beyond as well as that, yeah. don't they also encourage them to apply for a job at Starbreeze? Absolutely, absolutely. They, I, they, I think they're, they're trying to trying to convert them. That's exactly. And yeah. let's face it. I mean, if you can't beat them, join them, kind of thing. So you know, they'd rather have them join them than than be on the opposite side. So yeah. if they're the kind of people that are looking inside NFO files, they're the kind of people that may well be clued up enough to, to hack stuff and to get around stuff. And uh, having them work on the inside is far better than trying to attack you from the outside. Indeed, indeed. So as, as, as the old adage goes, have your friends close and your enemies closer. Absolutely. Totally. That's exactly what this is about. Very smart, and it's good to see companies like Starbreeze Studios actually... Yeah embracing this, these sorts of techniques because that's how they're going to make it work for them. Straight from the Sun Tzu School of Business. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's uh, talk about a couple of stories from Apple. Apple in Germany has had to disable the push notifications for iPhone users because of a patent claim. But is it, is it only in relation to incoming email? No, no, it's, it's contacts and calendar updates as well. So none of those are pushed. Now, uh-huh, now uh-huh. the thing is, it's Motorola actually that have taken them to court over this. Motorola mm-hmm. claim that Apple are infringing on a on a patent. Apple's response is actually that they're confident they'll win, but in the meantime, they've had to turn, turn it off in Germany. But Apple says that it's basically nothing more than an old pager patent and is invalid and obviously doesn't apply anymore uh, in this situation. Whether or not that is correct will be obviously fought out in court. But in the meantime, they've had to turn off the uh, the push notifications for email, contacts, and calendar updates. So what that means is for iPhone users in Germany, they still can configure the iPhone to to pull that information. So they can pull that information from the cloud by, by polling regularly, mm-hmm. but they're just not able to get the push notifications. So it's not yeah. just going to happen like that. It's going to happen when the, when the phone next checks. Yeah, so it's it's scheduled. You can schedule it to check every five minutes That's or every right. fifteen minutes, every two hours, depending on how conservative you want to be with your battery life. Now, if we had Brett King on the on this episode, he'd be saying and that's just the silly nature of patent claims. They're outdated and it makes no sense and they're counterproductive. That's what I he would agree say. wholeheartedly, Brett. <laughs> <laughs> We've said Brett's words for him. Yeah. I do agree with them to some extent, but there you go. That's probably, I think, the first time that iPhone users have been affected directly by lack of uh, or reduction in functionality as a result of patent wars. Yeah, I think in particular, it's it's software patents that Brett and I have the the biggest issue with. I think hardware patents of real implementations are fine; they're necessary. Software patents where where you're really Patenting the idea, not the strict implementation, is is sort of grayer, a lot more problematic. Yeah, I think some of the the broad the broadness of the software patents to me doesn't quite seem to you know the whole uh, what is it slide to unlock and yeah all that sort of stuff. I mean, to me, it's a it's it's rather broad. It's not specific enough. Multi touch gestures, yeah, like whatever. Exactly, totally. Now, the other Apple story I wanted to talk about was Apple threatening to pull a application from the App Store because it's, and I quote, confusingly similar to an existing Apple product. Which is part of the Apple Store terms of use for a developer is Apple have the right to refuse 
software reject software from the store if it duplicates functionality already offered on the phone. Ah, uh, yes, and that's I guess where the, where they could. So that's probably the loophole that they're using now. Evie, in case you're wondering, is well, f- for lack of a better term, the a Siri implementation. It's voice recognition with context AI. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The server side contact. Is it server side or is it all yeah, local? No, no, no. It's a, it uses servers. It uses uh, EV servers uh, mm. to work out what you're trying to ask. Yeah. Or at least the context of what you're trying to ask. So Apple are threatening to remove it. I, how do you feel about that? Well, uh, you know, apart from the fact that that is one of the conditions, right? Let's ignore that for a sec. Philosophically, do you agree with, with that? I agree that Apple has the right to do that, whether they should. No, I don't think so. I think it's a, a bonehead move. It's part of Apple's sort of lock-in philosophy or mantra. Do you think users would be confused between Evie and Siri? No. I think they have choice. If they could easily be confused and users would think that Evie is the Apple product, then do you think it would, would you be in, have a different stance? No, I would think that Apple have to do their marketing better. Well, obviously to some extent, but surely there must be a point where, I mean, what if I call mine... I think this is down to the same sort of rules and logic in trademark law. And as a long-time listeners will, will know, I've, I've been through this with Google and the old name of my business, and that was fairly similar, and Google had cause. Um, the only difference here is the I at the end of the name. What do you mean the I at the end of the oh, the only thing that's similar? Like Evie or Siri. Siri. So, yeah, but, okay, but back to the question I asked you last was, if they were confusingly similar, you're still saying that, no, Apple should do a better job. But I don't think that, if they called it Cine instead of Siri. Or Siri with S-E-E-R-Y or something. C-E-R. Yeah, exa- exactly. Then I think there would be an issue. So really or, what you're saying about Evie is that there's no way it can be confusingly similar. That's really what I we're all coming so. from. No. Right. Okay. No, yeah, exactly. It's not confusingly similar. So the question now, of course, is are Apple doing this because they genuinely believe that users will be confused and start thinking that perhaps Evie is an Apple offering and they'll and that it may not perform as well and of course give Apple a bad name, which would in my mind be a, a fair enough reason if that's what they thought. Or are they doing it because they perhaps feel a bit threatened by Evie? Um, I think a little from column A, a little from column B. I dare say Apple actually believe the line that they're pulling here, but but you don't agree yeah. with that. Basically. No, I, I don't agree with it at all. Now, the one thing that Evie does better than Siri, believe it or not, is uh, local accents, regional accents, and it can look up British businesses. Whereas at the moment. Siri is US centric. So, you know, for the UK audience, they'd really be wanting to get Evie and, and Siri would be next to useless. Exactly. Exactly. That's probably why Apple haven't actually pulled it yet. You know, I wonder though whether Apple, and in fact, it's almost a, a no brainer, I think they will go into the uh, other markets, you know, so for example, the UK market you mm-hmm. know, with Siri. Right now, Siri yeah. doesn't really serve anything other than the US market. No. Uh, at least for, for stuff that. You know, not for that that sort of local that, content. Correct. Yeah. But I think they're going to go there at one point and perhaps maybe is that why the, what this is about? Potentially. I mean, a, a lot of what Apple does is protecting their market. A lot of the decisions that Apple make are to protect 
they're for, for instance safari google workaround from last week it could be argued that the reason apple had disabled third-party cookies by default was to protect their own advertising business because they do have an advertising business so i mean their motives are, are really pure I mean, I would they're, thought they're browsers a commercial have... business and they make commercial decisions. But hang on a sec. I would have thought all browsers would turn off third-party cookies by default, wouldn't they? No, they don't. Most are open. Really? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm going to do right now? Safari is the only one I... that does it by default. Well, I'm going to go look in my settings right now and just see what they are. That's not to say I haven't changed them, but I'll just be interested mm. to see what they are because I can't, I can't even say... Block cookies from third parties and advertisers is what I have my Safari set to. Mm-hmm. Which is the default. Which is, Right, you're saying that's the default. Safari. And you're saying mm. other browsers don't have that as a default? Correct. But wouldn't that be better for consumers? Wouldn't, wouldn't you want that by default turned off? And perhaps if you, if you want to be sort of tracked by Google and others, then you can turn that on? Yes. Yes, I, I think users should absolutely have the option to turn it on. But what would happen to the internet if all of these free services that rely on advertising to offer their free services, Evernote, Google... No, no, hang on a sec. Advertising, what, what would, still would, happen, no, advertising would still continue. But, but the, the, the... What you're talking about is, is the, the tracking that goes on. So an ad that gets served up on one side... Uh, say a Google ad that's uh, served up on one site, Indeed. Uh, the next Indeed. site knows about it, or, or or Google somewhere else knows about it. Yeah, this which, is, which th- is the enhanced ability to target because of that. And I'm not advocating this as a a good or bad thing. I'm I'm just explaining some of the potential consequences would be. Okay. I mean, I I think it's a very complicated discussion. It is, and I don't even know how we got down this track from, no. from <laughs> Evie versus Siri. So let's move on and talk about a ship's anchor being lowered and damaging a fibre optic cable off the coast of Africa. In fact, uh, near Mombasa, one of Africa's busiest ports. Which now, is admitted, very unlucky. Very it is very unlucky. unlucky, but admittedly, it was there in a restricted area. It shouldn't have dropped its anchor there. Oh, well... <laughs> There's probably other cables that run through that restricted area as well then. That's my guess. And gas pipelines and all sorts exactly. of things. Exactly. <laughs> so the result of that was a number... Idiot num- ship drivers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well, we just had the... Uh, I don't know if you heard, but there was that the disaster off the coast of New Zealand as well with Arena ran ashore and the one off the coast of Italy as well. Mm. What is it with ships these days? Uh, well, they don't drive them like they used to. Anyone would think they're automated. <laughs> yeah. They're certainly Using not running. Siri. Yeah, I, was, <laughs> oh, I was actually going to be nice as well and say, and probably not using Windows 8. <laughs> I beat you to it. <laughs> you did. All right. So, yeah, a number of African countries have now got slow internet because of that. And it's going to take a couple of weeks to fix the cable. Yeah. And like they didn't have slow enough internet already. I know. This was only laid, uh, what, in 2009, I think? Yeah. Or thereabouts. It was only, it's a recent cable. And it's really boosted the, the bandwidth to those areas. Mm. In fact, in the no. first 12 months after these cables arrived, internet subscriptions in Kenya jumped from 1.8 million to 3.1. Which is great growth in a burgeoning market. Totally. 
Yeah. Put a bit of so bad luck, I, eh? Yeah, I, I really feel for those guys. Have, having slow internet is terrible. Well, I've got a colleague at work who apparently has dial-up. What? I know. As, as I, their I, primary I, use <laughs> internet, not as their fallback in case their no, ADSL stops working. it's the but, only connection. Wow. I know. And I thought dial-up was pretty much dead apart from perhaps rural areas. That's got to be connecting up to the, the only still operational bank of modems at an <laughs> <Yeah>. ISP. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. I couldn't believe it. No, I was that told is, you know, he's got dial-up, and I'm like, he's got what? Oh, that thing that you used to use 10 years ago. Yeah, that thing. Yeah. The thing that you had to connect your computer directly to the internet, which vastly increased your likelihood of getting attacked by uh, a virus or malware. <laughs> well, there is that, isn't there? Okay, that's pretty much the end of the show, but I want to uh, just round it off by one last story, and that is an update from Stephen Fry. Stephen Fry, of course, in the New Zealand section of, was it last week's episode, we reported how he had a big rant over New Zealand. He lambasted them. He did. The poor quality of New Zealand's internet. Well, he's, uh, he's now said... I may have been grossly unfair. I certainly put a bit of oomph into the response of Telecom New Zealand's competitors and perhaps that venerable old corporation itself, but it may be that it was not my place as a happy visitor to say or do any such thing. Well, I think he said what people were thinking. He did. He did. And you know, as Brett mentioned on, on the show when we reported the story that, you know, he let's put some context to the events. He he was using someone else's internet. He mm. used a lot of it. He went over the data cap and it slowed down. So, yeah. Yeah. Which which is standard behavior for capped internet. It is. It does is. the same thing in Australia. The only thing, of course, I would say back on, on the other side of the argument is that, of course, the caps in New Zealand are a little too low. Yeah. And there are caps in Australia, which are three gig and 10 gig. Oh, you um, do have those small plans as well, do you? Yeah, we do on some of the smaller smaller ISPs, but they're like the budget ones, and, and even those ISPs have much bigger plans. Like so who would six, use those? 60 gig, 120 gig, so basically we, people who only check email. Grandma. Yeah, yeah. Right, grandma. Email and a, a bit, bit of Skype, YouTube. Bit of Skype, or, yeah, okay. Mm. Yeah. So, Al, that's pretty much episode 156, Done and Dusted. Awesome. No, good show. Excellent. Thank you very much, Eld, for joining me on the panel this week. No problem at all. All right, and we'll hope to see you uh, again next week. In the meantime, thanks for listening, everyone, to New Zealand's longest-running tech podcast. Hope to see you again next week as well. See you then. Goodbye. Sayonara. Just taking the patent thing off to a non-tech angle for a sec, the thing that gets me the most is the ability to paint into colour. So I'll give you an example. Cadbury Confectionery, they've painted it the colour purple for confectionery. So no other confectionery manufacturer can use purple. 
But my, uh, my, is, is that a trademark or, or a patent? Oh, no, that's a trademark, isn't it? Yeah, because they're two different yeah, things. You're right. You're absolutely right. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. Yeah, forget what I was saying. Yeah, just forget that. All right. 